Talk about chalk and cheese. Let's get started. And they are going to win! Pierre Gasly wins the Italian Grand Prix! Three cars going wheel to wheel as Perez is caught by Charles Leclerc and his three cars gone off. It's a DNF for MAX. The world championship record is equals. Lewis Hamilton, seven-time champion of the world. Aha. Uh-huh. Because go on, Turkey is famous for its cheese. <laughs> very close, very close. I was referring actually to the Mercedes garage. How let's say the cheese was Bottas, who uh, got himself the first victory of the season for him, and then Hamilton, who yes qualified in eleventh after after that penalty, only got up to a fifth place, and ultimately some would argue threw away a podium place, if not a second or maybe even first place, knowing that Bottas was there. But yes, indeed, we are talking about Turkey, the Grand Prix that happened there on Sunday. A very, very interesting one. And it's just me interesting this week, and I thank everyone for coming along to listen to this episode, episode 49. I understand we've got some uh, more listeners around the world, so welcome one and all from where yeah. you come from, and uh, thanks for being here. Absolutely. We've, it's been amazing to see the exponential growth as we've been doing this for the last couple of years as we uh, left our, our, our old studio and, and started going out and making it on our own. It's it's fascinating to see where everyone comes from um, around, around the world. So if you are new here, um, hello. And please stick around and take a look around at the, some of the previous episodes we do. It'll be interesting to contrast this turkey with the one from last year. Yes. It, it seems like it's, it was such a, a different type of race, especially the ending. I mean, let's not forget that Hamilton won. Uh, mm. the world championship off the back of Turkey and Lance Troll got pole. <laughs> See, now, you mentioned there that, that Bottas was the cheese, Tom. Yes. What, what what cheese do you think Bottas would be? <laughs> oh, he's got to be surely just a cheddar. You think just a just a Is there just any the such cheddar. thing as just a cheddar, though? I, well, th- I see him more as a Wensleydale. Um, really? Okay, yeah, a bit crumbly and crumbly, a right, little yeah, okay. bit wet. <laughs> See, I picked cheddar because it was the most generic, bland cheese I could think of, really. But Wensleydale works as well, so that's fine. But um, yes, I remember many episodes ago, I said Valtteri Bottas would not win a Grand Prix this year. And I kind of think he'll only win one, but he did a great job in this race. He's somewhat famed, shall we say, for getting quite a slow, uh, stagnant start off the grid when it comes to Sunday but this time he had a rather great start and ultimately he was very much leading the pack be it sort of virtually in terms of pit stops and physically from uh, lap one to the end and he did a fantastic job but that's not really where the talking point is the talking point very much is about pit stops because I suppose similar to last year's Turkey Grand Prix this one was quite weird and so far the conditions were hmm damp not dry, but as Valtteri, as um, Sebastian Vettel found out, not dry enough for slicks. Yeah, it, it, it kind of reminded me when, when, you know when you get out of the shower and <laughs> okay. the whole room is both wet and dry. If you go up mm. to the walls and touch the walls, you'll find that there's a little bit of moisture left on your fingers. But you wouldn't describe the, the whole room as being wet. It's just mm. damp and a bit miserable, really. Um, that, <laughs> so that's kind of what Turkey was. It, it was the wet room of the Formula One, and, and that's what caused so many issues. You needed mm. those intermediate tyres, those really soft, sticky tyres, to displace just a bit of water and just stick you to the track. Now, last year, it was a fresh track surface, and 
it was sort of wet. So it was super slidey. Uh, in mm. fact, in a recent interview with Lewis Hamilton um, at the weekend, Hamilton said it was the weirdest track he has ever driven on last year. And so this year it was a bit better, but we still had this sort of unique surface where it was kind of in between intermediates and dry. So we needed... Uh, I mean, it, it, they sort of made their tyres into the intermediate intermediate, um, <laughs> somewhere between <laughs> soft and and wet. It was all a bit bizarre, really. Um, mm-hmm. But it was, it's interesting we brush over Bottas so quickly. But it was a great it was a great drive from him. He didn't get the fastest lap during qualifying. That did go to Hamilton, but Hamilton had his ten place grid penalty. If you don't really know, uh, because they gave him a new internal combustion engine. But that doesn't matter. He got a great start at the beginning. He held off Max at, at the very start. And if, if at the very beginning of the race, he was sort of two and a half seconds ahead. And then he just extended that lead. And it was a solid drive from him. Such a difference between last year when he did uh, six spins. Um, and, <laughs> and it was yeah. abysmal. So it was really nice to see him on the podium. There was a lot of love for Perez and Bottas uh, this mm-hmm. week, which was really nice to see. Um and I was clapping for Bottas whilst he was on the podium, even if Toto Wolf accidentally <laughs> forgot to do that. Oh, that was that was so awkward to watch, wasn't it? You see his eyes just sort of drift over to the right. He's like, oh dear, the camera's on me. And yeah, I'm his clap. boss. <laughs> and there I am with my arms folded, <laughs> yeah. but then suddenly starts clapping. But yeah, I think Bottas did such an excellent job. It was very much the Bottas of old. He never really gave Verstappen uh, a sniff, really. As Verstappen said, it was like he was almost, Verstappen that is, you know, asleep at the wheel because there was so much or so little, should I say, for him to do aside from just keep it on the track and keep the car going relatively fast, which he obviously did get in that second place. But um, yeah, Bottas did an excellent job. And um, it's such a shame, really, because it shows everyone, you know, the doubters such as perhaps myself and others, that Bottas hasn't lost it. He's just very much been sort of contained and tied down and um, not being given the chance to um, to execute a race how he'd like to. But once given the chance, he's very much done that. And um, yes, unlike the uh, the other half of the Mercedes garage, which um, really did cock it up for want of a better phrase when it came to the pit stops. Anyway, I mean, it felt like only a few races ago in Sochi uh, when I was saying how Mercedes did a good job in terms of uh, getting the strategy right. But um, maybe Mercedes did, but uh, Lewis Hamilton didn't, saying that, oh, OK, we don't need to go in and pit. Uh, I believe this is on sort of early lap 40s while everyone else was pit just after uh, Max Verstappen came in and then oddly pitted around sort of lap 51, uh, so that's what nine laps after Mercedes said, "Hey, Inters is the way to go." Then only giving him only a few laps to um, get back up the grid or fail to do so. So yes, he finished in fifth place. And I suppose the question from that is, because um, I suppose the the big question coming from this is, should it be mandatory for drivers to pit? Um, in the wet conditions because for those who don't know in the dry conditions you have to pit and you have to use two different compounds of tyres so be that a a soft tyre or a medium tyre or a hard or a medium two different types of tyres but 
in the wet, that's not mandatory. And we saw Hamilton and uh, Leclerc sort of flirt with the idea of going all the way without stopping. Ocon did it, of course. He finished 10th, climbing from 12th. But looking at the state of his tyres, they couldn't really go uh, much further at all. But what do you think, Tristan? Do you think it should be made mandatory that you have to pit even in wet conditions for a different compound or a different set of tyres, as is the case in dry conditions? Yeah, there's a lot to unpack here because we've got... The contrast between Hamilton's strategy and then whether or not he should have been forced to by regulations. So we'll start off with the idea that, that there should be an enforcement from the FIA that all tyres have to be changed at some point in the race. Now, it, that's, it's a really interesting question because it seems to be blowing up on Twitter um, with people <laughs> coming down on both sides of, of the coin here. And it, it seems to me like those who are in camp rule change are in it for two reasons one is the safety perspective and the second is for entertainment value there's no secret that the reason why we have rules such as the tires you qualify from qualifying two to qualifying three on is the tires you start on in dry conditions um and the fact that you have to change change tyres in a race to another compound is an artificial way for the FIA to add some excitement into the race. Mm. If teams had it their way, they would have a tyre that was super duper hard and wouldn't lose them 25 seconds over the course of an entire race and they could get to it at the end. Uh, you And the way you have that is you just have a tyre that has a, a bigger range of operational temperature. So that's why we have these rules is just so that it's a bit more exciting and that teams come into the pits and all oh, things have gone wrong ha ha Bottas has the longest pit stop in history <laughs> isn't that fun right that's it's all, it's all because we like having tires changed and uh, they banned refueling and stuff and so this is what we've got left mm. and so what it, it does seem strange that in the wet conditions or even in intermediate conditions like this when teams can run their tyres down to to effectively slicks so they're making their intermediate slicks the FIA don't see it prevalent to add in a clause or a rule that says if you start on intermediates and it stays kind of dry that you're forced to change your intermediates um, and so some people are saying well actually yes we should have that rule you should have to you should be forced to change your tires because if you're on intermediate tires or you're on wet tires the whole idea is the tread displaces lots and lots of water and if you're running them down to slicks then you're no longer on intermediate tires which means the intermediate tires aren't doing their job which means it's more dangerous and people can spin off and i do kind of see where they're coming from there furthermore if you look at the pictures of ocon's tires and they are now documented he mm. ran that front right tire <laughs> down <laughs> past the tread and you can yes. actually see the canvas underneath being exposed mm -hmm. which means mm -hmm. it's not that far off from going bang and yep. that does pose a safety concern should drivers be able to just chance their arms each time in order to, to offset a 25 second stop because if everybody has to stop then it's a level playing field right Mm -hmm. um, and so it, it does add a little bit more excitement, but more importantly, everyone's a bit safer. It's a bit like how we mand mandate the halo. If yeah. teams were being completely honest and selfish, 
They do not want to strap a big piece of titanium to the front of their car. Otherwise, they would have done it by now to get some sort of aerodynamic or performance benefit from it. They Teams do not like doing anything that decreases efficiency. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so you're obviously going to be in a situation where a team's going, well, actually, we, we don't think these tyres are going to explode. So, yeah, we might as well not bring you in. And then that almost caused a problem for Ocon. So, yeah, there is a safety aspect to it. And the other one is excitement. We didn't see, well, we could have potentially not seen some exciting things happen because no one was coming to the pit lane. Who Who's going to jump first if uh, yeah. you know, and, and take that chance? And so if you do have that, element of artificial fun it can be more exciting for us and we do like the fact that there there isn't a mandatory you know tire change and tire type change as well because it just means you get a slight mix of strategies but tom are you in favor of this because i i I get the feeling you're very anti this rule i wouldn't say i'm very anti i just don't see the need for there to be changed because i think there's a vested interest that the teams and drivers have in pitting and obviously in safety. I don't think, as we saw from this race, that you can go all the way and be competitive with the current sort of tyre compounds we've got for, you know, wet tyres and dry tyres alike. Leclerc flirted with the idea, so did Hamilton, as I say, but they both decided not to do it, or should I say the teams decided not to do it because they realised that they couldn't be competitive and couldn't score the lucrative points and get the positions that they would have got when they pitted. I mean... Sure, Ocon did get a point from not pitting. That is an advantage, fine. But when you look at the finish line, when you look at the fact that Giovinazzi was four seconds faster than him, you know, 0.7 seconds behind him, and literally, as you said, the tyres were so thin, that is ultimately a gamble. It's a calculated gamble. It's a risk, a bit paid off. But I don't think you're going to be seeing this every time you have a situation like Turkey, which, as we say, in of itself is quite rare and unique. Having these conditions where you can go effectively from inters to slicks and there not be really any fallouts in terms of time or loss, I think that's very rare. So I don't see the need for there to be a mandatory, you know, huge regulation to say you've got to pit under the wets because, as I say, there's a vested interest for the teams in terms of competitiveness and also safety as well. I think, you know, teams and drivers alike are still haunted by the Max Verstappen blowout in, uh, in Baku. I think there's still questions re- regarding the Pirelli tyres. And, of course, we've seen crashes as well, lest we forget uh, Grosjean um, in, in Bahrain. Ultimately, it shows that, you know, they are considering this as well. They're not just disregarding health and safety. And I think if you put almost not complete control but a lot of control of this into the hands of teams then that's fine they're just having a non-negotiable catch-all regulation that ultimately de-incentivizes these gambles and we don't see the Ocons getting a point because they threw caution to the wind so I, I would I would say that introducing regulations like this now is knee-jerk I think it's quite needless and I think it would de-incentivize um, the reasons why we love the sport which is you know the the unlikely results the gambles and, and the unlikely wins the, the Ocon situation was particularly unique this weekend because actually looking back at the data it, it kind of shouldn't have worked for them so by the end of the race Ocon was losing mm. over four seconds a lap because he basically didn't have any grip on those tyres it was 
yeah. I mean, it, look, for, yeah. from my perspective, I think it was pretty daft. With every other team basically choosing to pit, they could have pitted. And it would mm. have potentially ended up with the same result. Now, the reason why Ocon ended up in 10th was because he made up two places through basically staying out. But uh, mm -hmm. Kimi Raikkonen was on an absolute charge throughout the race and caught up with Giovinazzi. Yeah. The team actually went onto the radio and said, we want you to let Raikkonen by because he can, he's faster. And Giovinazzi said, no, I'm not going to. And um, <laughs> Ke and he did, in fairness, Ooh. increase his pace. But he ended up making his teammate just stick behind him the whole race. And so they finished in 11th and 12th. <laughs> and listening listening to the yeah. post-race interview with Kimi Raikkonen, he was like, you know, well, we we didn't really achieve anything. Uh, I could have I could have done better. You know, basically alluding to that the team should have let him bast. And in fairness, what his race pace suggested, he would have actually caught. And well, given that Ocon had no tires to defend on, probably overtaken him. So mm. it was actually a bit of a mess at Alfa Romeo this weekend that allowed um, Ocon's. Yeah bizarre tyre strategy and um, forgive me I did actually see when the last time someone had finished a race without changing their tyres occurred but it definitely wasn't in this the hybrid era we have to go back a long way uh, to no. see it happen before but it yeah. just shouldn't have happened really um, and I thought it was mm. a bit daft mm. of Alpine to sort of let him them do it they risked so much to do so and you're absolutely right the the potential problems of not changing the tires is definitely on a team's mind and going on to Hamilton's strategy I definitely think well <laughs> I, de was there I definitely think well we talk about Ferrari strategy um, we definitely think that um, <laughs> one of the reasons they pitted him was because they are fighting for the world championship and well they they believed that he would be able to catch back up on those tyres um, and they they didn't want to risk him losing all the points uh, for for no reason. So mm. given what we know about Hamilton's strategy now, Tom, at the time, did you look at Hamilton yes. and him saying, well, I don't want to come in a pit and think it was the right move? No. Um I think when Mercedes said the Inters is the way to go and they that what was that lap 42 I thought oh okay he may come in a few laps later but when he came in as I say in lap 51 well, I kind of thought well the horse has bolted at this point hasn't it because yes you can pit and you're still going to get some points but you're not going to maximize the potential of the chances you did have if you pitted slightly earlier let's say for example, lap 46. And I think Jensen Button, who was commentating for Sky, made a very good point when he said that I don't think Hamilton truly understood the sort of magnitude of his decision to stay out and then come in. Because if we look back, or you look back at the highlights, lap 42, he was, no, no way, man, not coming in. Lap 51, he was like, okay, yeah, no worries. Like, you know, there was no sort of backlash. There was no dragging of heels. He was completely fine with it until he realised that he was down in fifth place uh, and was ultimately getting caught by a by Gasly. Granted, Gasly had a, uh, had a penalty, but still in that sort of uh, negative position compared to where he was in third. It's, it's, it's such a weird one because we're almost seeing a sort of shadow repeat almost of Sochi where there seemed to be a blindingly obvious 
decision in hindsight, I'd even say this is more obvious because we knew it wasn't going to rain more for wets, so wets wouldn't be, have to be put on. We saw from Vettel that slicks weren't working, and the fact that um, Lando Norris pitted on what? He's the first one to pit on lap 36, I believe, and the fact that Max had pitted a, a lap later 37. It just it just seemed impossible to me that a car could be competitive without pit without pitting at all um, when it came to this race and leaving it so late. I thought, well, do they know something I don't, or have they really just failed to, well, I suppose understand the uh, ramifications of pitting so late after this race? Really discussing it and thinking about it, I have to stand by what I said last time, which is you can't force a driver to come in and pit and weirdly as you say the writers of of this season from one side to you know kind of reuse the same script twice which you know it's just lazy writing guys come on um (laughs) but netflix is gonna love this um (laughs) yeah Yeah. (laughs) um but they it was really interesting because obviously mercedes were saying look we got a pit we're looking at the times it's clear that when you first jump onto the tires, you kind of lose speed for a bit, and then and then you pick up the pace again once you go through that marbling stage, that graining stage. Um, incidentally, Jensen Button absolutely nailed that throughout the weekend. Mm. His commentary was very insightful, which was quite interesting to listen to. Um, it, you know, he, he was absolutely right when he pointed that out at the very beginning of the race, actually. And well, it seemed like none of the other teams kind of got that memo. Uh, so yeah. it, it wasn't, I just think it was odd that they didn't pit him because hmm. clearly they wanted to, but you can't, you cannot make a driver come into the pits when they don't want to. And mm-hmm. Hamilton thought he had the pace. And so it was kind of like Norris last time. It was a weird one because like on this occasion, we saw Mercedes be quite stubborn in so far that we're going to stay out in the pit, in the pits and uh, Hamilton, you're going to have to come in at some point. But this time, they almost did a McLaren of Sochi, if that makes sense, says, we think you should pit. Driver says no. They go, oh, okay then. And then wait until lap 51. I mean, I, I'm surprised that Mercedes weren't like every every lap or so saying, you've got to come in, you've got to come in. Don't you understand? If you don't come in now, you're going to finish, what, fifth or sixth? You know, the gap to Gasly's closing. The, uh, the gap as well between uh, Leclerc is also uh, on a knife edge. I've gone from praising Mercedes when it came to Sochi for being quite stubborn, but this time I think they sort of fell foul of of going against what had served them so well previously. It was such a it was almost like a car crash in slow motion. Really, you knew what the ending was, but they just failed to ah uh, yeah they just failed to understand it. Yeah, they, they, they the problem was was that there was no dramatic change in the situation. Yeah. Hamilton was keeping up with his pace. Yes. And so from his perspective, it was everything was fine. As it turns out, he probably would have got to the same stage with Ocon and then started losing four seconds a lap. Mm-hmm. Whether mm-hmm. or not that offsets the 25-second um, pit is another debate. I think mm-hmm. it would have. Yes. But, yes. you know, that's, that's that, again, that we, we will never know that. I, I think they probably could have kept him up to the end and he probably would have um, actually got third 
Because even if he loses four seconds a lap for five laps consecutively, mm-hmm. that's only 20 seconds. And it's one thing right. to catch and another thing to pass in Turkey. I don't know. It was a really, it's a really difficult call. And I'm still uncertain whether or not how they made the right choice. However, what they did do is they, is Mercedes were just looking to bank points. And yep. I think that's something that was lost on Hamilton at the time. I mean, if you, on Hamilton's Instagram today, he did say that as a team, they work hard to build the best strategy possible. But as the split decision, there are so many factors constantly changing. And yesterday we took the risk to stay out, hoping it would stay dry. It didn't. I wanted it to risk it and try to go out to the end. But it was my call to stay out and it didn't work. In the end, we did pit and it was the safest thing to do. Mm. So it, it seems like the safe that's what they were going for there is a safety. Because at the end of the day, in this world championship, an unexpected DNF could be that the difference yeah. yeah yeah and so i think mercedes were basically saying to hamilton look look you know come in come in bank these points bank these points get in fifth's okay you started in 10th mate and hamilton at the time because he is passionate about the drive and the win was going well, on him and i'm still i'm still good on these tires and so that's yeah, why we, yeah. and given that there was no but hamilton the mm-hmm. rain's going to increase that sort of pressure right there was no mm-hmm. new information being presented by the team the team kind of had to stay sit there and be like well we're telling you to come in but we, we can't actually give you a reason to yeah, and yeah. that's the problem yeah. and i think that's the subtle difference between mm-hmm. sochi and turkey is there was a real reason for to risk the, the pit stop which ended up screwing over norris in Tur- in sochi however in turkey because of the consistent mildly damp conditions as it turns out the only risk was the tires going bang and they you know they might not have it's an interesting one as well to think what would mercedes have done in terms of their pit strategy if sergio perez had stayed where he qualified in sixth behind hamilton would they have then you know pitted early you know mirrored uh, verstappen pitted let's say a lap after him to think well is only let's say Leclerc and Gasly or Norris or somebody else in between myself and um, my main title rival and then my teammates out in front I think really I think Sergio Perez being there as well as Verstappen which was highly expected really did sort of change their minds and made them think well hang on we saw what happened to Red Bull when it came to uh, Baku where Verstappen was driving along fine in first place and then boom the tyres went DNF lights out you've lost 18 26 points there um for for the team you've lost huge amounts and when you consider how tight it is between them as you say i think mercedes took that decision which is quite interesting that they've decided to just bank points uh and to and to look at that sort of safety first action when rewind of course to sochi and they weren't too concerned with Bottas being in the points or at the points. Granted, he wasn't at the front of the grid, but they used him very much as a sort of rolling roadblock mm. uh, to Verstappen uh, without sort of rehashing that old argument. But um, but yes, I think Sergio Perez being so high up was a real difference to, um, to Mercedes' decision-making. And talking about the Mexican Checo, yes, he qualified in sixth place. Not too great when you consider he's in the best or second best car on the grid, but he was able to get his first podium since Paul Ricard in France got up to third place. But I think really the uh, memorable moment for him 
was lap 34, that awesome battle between himself and Lewis Hamilton. And for once, for once, there was actually a battle between Lewis Hamilton and the second Red Bull car, and it didn't end in a crash. Absolutely. And I mean, I was yelling at the screen when Hamilton and Perez had that amazing little duel when I, I well, I had no idea which way it was going to go. It was interesting mm. to see both drivers giving space. It was magnificent in terms of correct yielding from both drivers. Perez knowing that the battle, you know, he could get the inside line slightly later on that round the track, giving Hamilton that room just to allow him to, to you know, not crash and then coming back at him later and then Hamilton doing the same thing and then the, the drag down the, the straight. It was fantastic. And there's a lot of love for for Perez at the moment. I think he's it was it was just good to see Checo on the on the, the podium. Their livery looks quite cool. Yes, I was 100%. a fan of it. Um, although I I know some people weren't, but I thought it was really really cool. If a little bit difficult to pick them out, like the problem with the liveries I sometimes find is is on paper they look really obviously different. But when mm. you're when you're just sort of glancing at the screen, it, it when you've got three or four teams going with what white you think yeah. is that Haas is it a Red Bull <laughs> is it an Alpha Tauri Williams yeah. what um, <laughs> you know it can be a bit tricky especially and my, don't even get me started on numbers uh, anyway mm. Um, mm. no Perez fantastic it was good to see him get his, his elbows out actually and I was I was thinking whether or not Hamilton would have given Verstappen as much space um, uh. in the same situation and I came down on on no because it doesn't really matter so much if you crash into your championship rival it mattered a lot if he crashed into Perez uh, which yep. is why when Bottas and Verstappen came together it was so you know dramatic and and controversial but I think I think the only gripe I have with with Perez at the moment is he seems to be the antithesis to George Russell. He is Mr. Sunday, if you'd like. He seems to be doing really well on, on the Sundays. And and having that race pace there and that, that fantastic ability to get up through the pack, just I wish I'd just stop seeing him having to go up through the pack. I, mm -hmm. I want that, that him to get, well, pole position and, and start there. And, it seems to me like we keep having this discussion about Perez, given that last year one of the highlights was him going from last to first. Yeah. When are we going to see Perez start on the front row and finish mm. on the front row? Yeah, I mean, that's a great point because if you look back at the three races before, he finished in uh, 8th, 5th and ninth. We're going all the way from uh, the Netherlands through to Sochi. And he's a weird one, isn't it, Perez? Because if he, if he hadn't have got the, this uh, third place, there would be question marks again over how well he was doing if he was an improvement on Alex Albon. And when you consider that prior to this race, he'd only been on the podium twice. Yes, he'd won in Baku, which is so important. Uh, got a third place in Paul Ricard, as I say. But other than that, he's been quite indifferent compared to Albon. He's been an improvement, sure, but when you consider how consistent Bottas uh, can be, how well he can execute his chances, as we see uh, in Turkey uh, from him, 
it was really a, a now or never moment, I think, uh, for Perez. Not insofar that he would be axed if he did badly, but we, as we said, you know, many episodes ago, he does have a point to prove. But it seems to, to me, when his back's against the wall. Perez always comes out fighting and always comes out with the goods. He almost needs a fight or a reason or or something um, to get him going and to show his worth. And I think, you know, that battle between Hamilton and himself was really the catalyst for that because ordinarily he can get lost, I think, in the middle of the pack between uh, your McLarens, your Ferraris. But, um, but yes, he, he, he does get lost, really, in that pack. Um, but this, ch- this time he had a chance to break away and... Fair play, but consistency. Consistency is the key for him, I think. Yeah, w- would you like to know a couple of other sad facts that were true up until this weekend? Oh, go on, so, then. Uh, at, at, so, at the end of Sochi, uh, yes. Perez had scored 16 points in the last six races, yes. which was the same as George Russell. Wow. Also, oh my God. George and <laughs> Perez had the same number of top three starts. Oh, Top th- oh, that's insane! Wow, yeah. yeah, and I think that's still valid, right? Um, mm, I think so. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's not good. No, but, uh, it's it's interesting because it seems like the the thing that's holding Checo up is the fact that he has won a race and he has, in this case, gone to the podium and and done these like little moments of magic, but. If I say, is he better than Gasly and Albon? My, mm. I don't think he has actually been that much better. Red Bull is still second in the constructors, yep. and they really need him to score more points. And I, I just, I don't see Perez being this massive level up at the moment. Yes. And and although there is, you know, I, I think he did a great job of the weekend. I'm so pleased he's in the seat as well, because I did not want him to leave. I, I, I think it's interesting that he keeps having these like little moments of magic. But as you say, Tom, he's not been the most consistent. And there mm-hmm. is a reason why Red Bull aren't winning the constructors at the yep. moment. Absolutely. When you consider as well the gap between himself and uh, Bottas, who we all say has had you know, quite an average season, the gap's 42 points which is pretty pretty mad, really, when you think about it. When you consider that's, what, two race wins, roughly speaking, uh, between the two. And when you consider that, as we say, uh, Perez has had quite a few chances, really, to to execute in terms of the track being suited to Red Bull um, and there being, let's say, Hamilton occupied with uh, Verstappen and him fighting with McLarens. Now, don't get me wrong, Lando Norris is a very good driver, as shown by the constructors and him being in fourth place when it comes to the single drivers. But um, realistically, if you're Christian Horner, Helmut Marco, and everyone at Red Bull, you should be thinking to yourself fourth is minimum at least in the drivers championship i'd say like norris has done an excellent job he's been so consistent plaudits to him but still the red bull is a better car and as i say you know as we both say perez has been an improvement on the last two second seater uh red bull drivers he's got a win for example and now two podiums to add on top of that but um I think going into this season, I thought he was going to be the difference. I predicted he would be the difference between uh, Mercedes and Red Bull in terms of the constructors. But now looking at it, I mean, the gaps, what, um, 37 points, I think? I mean, is that really attainable at this level for Red Bull to overtake them when you've got, 
you know, Lewis Hamilton being out in front and then Bottas largely being there, it has to be said, unlike Perez. Yeah. And I suppose that, that that's a really tricky thing for Perez at the moment is being in the car that is potentially going to win the world championship um, is always tricky because everyone expects you then to come in third or fourth because mm. we we mustn't forget that if Perez wants to keep beating Hamilton that makes him the second second in the in the world which means if you yep. get rid of Verstappen right then at this point that means Perez is potentially world championship material mm-hmm. and is Perez world championship material not currently probably no. not no no so I I think Perez should be aiming for fourth because that means his real fight is between Bottas and actually there are lots of similarities between Bottas and Perez the fact that they've only both won a single race this this year they are both not that consistently on the podiums they both have these day on and off days but are very much faster than a lot of other people so you know I think I think it's a good idea to to place Perez in that sort of second row on the grid sort of style if you'd like Um, and it's very difficult remember to 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 place Perez in a situation where he is holding up Hamilton because well we're basically asking him therefore to be second in the world Mm -hmm. that's so true that's a big ask so yes coming out of this weekend lots of love for Checo I'm so pleased for him and absolutely was in the right place at the right time just did everything he needed to and, mm-hmm. and got that car in a competitive position. Um, but it would just be really nice going forwards if he had a little bit more spark, a bit more energy about his drive and just could could be fighting up there as well because mm-hmm. ideally they want him to be holding up Hamilton, for example, in order to allow Verstappen to get a better pit stop. And yeah, that means yeah. being in that fourth position. And he's just not really delivering that where, where Bottas has. You know, as much as we joke and laugh about Bottas being a bit of a mm-hmm. Wensleydale... He is very effective at getting Mercedes across the line and into Mm -hmm. that Constructors' Championship position. Absolutely. I mean, he's been on the podium eight times, uh, Bottas, which is quite remarkable. But I do think that Perez's biggest challenge potentially, like I know there's regulation dependency on this one, but his biggest challenge arguably comes next year because... You know the treadmill doesn't stop when it comes to next season. Red Bull will be up there, we believe, as one of the best cars. And of course, you've then got Bottas leaving and a very hungry, young, snappy George Russell coming in. So arguably, the bar then becomes high for Checo because he's then got to prove himself against uh, arguably the future of Mercedes and the future of uh, British racing, if you will. So it's it's going to be a tough year next year for him. But the best thing he can do now is build off of this result he's got here at Turkey because he's shown that he can do it like like Bottas has as well. They're both showing they're very good drivers, but hey, it all comes down to how many points you accumulate over the season, not just, oh, wow, do you remember that race? He was good then. Ah, yes, we'll just disregard the other 10. But um, but yes, that's the that's the message. That's the message. And so ends episode 49 of F1 in Review. Thank you very much, dear listener, from wherever you're listening to this episode of F1 in Review for tuning in once again to listen to us review yet another race in the 2021 calendar, this time 
we're at Turkey and once again it didn't disappoint. Sergio Perez getting a podium this time round as he did back in 2020 and a whole other plethora of things which I hope you've enjoyed. Moving forwards, the next Grand Prix is in the United States of America but not this weekend coming and that starts on the 22nd of October but we'll be back next week to talk about all the latest news, uh, topics and things of interest when it comes to F1. Hopefully this time round, as I sort of falsely predicted last, there will actually be a decision when it comes to the Alfa Romeo second seat and um, more interesting things to talk about than a uh, sustainable fuel. Until next time, thank you for listening.